we have to be able to tell these stories. And it's not going to come from folks who can't see past their own biases. It has to come from within our culture. Hi, I'm Tori Reed, the CEO of Victory and Noble, as well as the executive producer for Getting Deals Done. Getting Deals Done is about one of three dynamic intentions. Number one, the success mindset, which is about the visionary doer as well as the dream catcher. Number two, systems, what it takes to get deals done in the world. And number three, power, how big things are done in the world. Getting Deals Done is about impacting humanity one deal at a time. Our shows are produced for the busy executive in under 20 minutes with voiceovers that aim to clarify, inspire, and raise your collective business IQ. We hope this show will leave you supercharged with capital energy, focused with purpose, and ready to do your very best by being your best. Welcome to Getting Deals Done with Patrick Howell, my partner and a tenured financier, as well as someone who knows a thing or two about getting the deal done. Courtesy of our partners at Vivra Water, a sustainable solutions company that mirrors our commitment to clarity, focus, and a better world. Vivro's water solutions for business have already helped divert tens of millions of wasteful plastic bottles from landfills and waterways. Every day, Vivro systems across the globe help forward-thinking companies transform their own on-premise water into a source for pure and reliable filtered hydration. Let Vivro help you and your business leave a legacy of stewardship health, and wellness that will literally make you feel good inside. Go to vivrowater.com, V-I-V-R-E-A-U, water.com for more information. What an incredible opportunity to be joined by Aloe Black, who's a producer on Ferguson Rises, which is directed by my good friend, Mobalaji Olam Biwanu. Mobalaji and I met each other, uh, I think, over 10 years ago. He's been a serial entrepreneur. African Cowboy was his first uh, foray that I knew of where I met him at a club or something. I think you were having a fashion runway show at the club. And uh, I actually bought a couple of your pieces. I still have them. I still enjoy them um, to great effect. And then fast forward about five years later, I did a book, um, Dispatches from the Vanguard, which was released by Penguin Random House. And last year at approximately this time, Dispatches from the Vanguard, which is about the global international African arts movement, was uh, debuting. Um, and you were kind enough to help me launch the book along with Tori Reed, who's the executive producer of this show and an artist and a podcaster, an international podcaster in our own right, Dr. Tom Lutz, who's the head of the Los Angeles Review of Books um, and is currently at assignment at large in the world um, and also a National Book Award winner. And it was a very generous entry into launching a book at the bottom of the great pandemic and quarantining virtually. So thank you for that. A year later, um, we had the opportunity to discuss your film, Mobilaji, Ferguson Rises, which we saw debut uh, a couple of weeks ago in Santa Monica. I wanted to recall from the book, on page 203 of Dispatchers from the Vanguard, I was able to profile you along with the Nikki Giovannis, Ishmael Reeds, Dr. Harry Edwards. On page 203, I noted you as an American filmmaker. That was the title of the uh, piece called American Filmmaker Mobilaji Olambiwanu. On page 203, you said of your son, he is the inspiration for this film because without having a child, 
I wouldn't have thought so much about the impact a future without police violence could have on our youth and even police themselves. With a child, I always think about the world we are going to be living in. I wouldn't be thinking about this movie in the same way if it weren't for my son. So I want to talk a little bit, but I think most people understand the activist. I think they also understand that as an activist, you're acting on behalf of your son and on the future, but you're also acting on behalf of a young Mobilaji who had a run-in early on um, in his stay in America that was transformative for him and led to the making of this film. But I also think that you're a journeyman entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur. Um, so from a project 10 years in the making to a film with widespread social impact, a virtual conscience of the nation, and winning the Tribeca Film Festival Audience Award, um, you've had a very interesting journey as an auteur and entrepreneur. Can you talk a little bit about that journey? I mean, I think what's beautiful about uh, about film that I think people often forget, particularly when you're making your first um, independent feature, is that it is a business. I'm learning that from uh, from Aloe Black and, and looking at examples of, of, of folks who are creatives, who are committed to making a difference and realizing that... Uh, in order to keep making a difference, you you got to actually figure out how to how to make this thing fundable, right? And uh, you know how to how to make the uh, the income and to have have that continue to, to sort of cycle back through. And so, um, in terms of this venture, that was something I had to discover um, along the way. You know, I thought it would be a lot easier just to sort of raise funds or do something and, and make a film and, and, and be done with it fairly quickly. But instead, um, there was a seven year almost seven year process uh, to get to this point where we are now, which involves sort of multiple fundraising um, efforts um, to get this sort of, I guess you can call it like a, you know, a venture, right? Um, get this venture underway. I think the thing that I would say I learned the most from this experience is that no one is coming to save you. <laughs> you know, I say that all the time, like no one is coming to save you. You have to, you have to save yourself. You have to you have to create what you want and inspire others to join you in that in that journey. And uh, and again, you know, you know, I'm I'm grateful for um for Aloe and all the other folks who decided to to join me in that journey because without his example, without the example of others who participate in the film, I think um even just on on a, on a spiritual level, I think I wouldn't have been buoyed up enough to to continue the journey. Right? Um, I did not anticipate it would take this long. And um, it started before my son was born, and my son is almost seven in January. So the length of time uh, and the level of endurance that it takes to um, to, to finish a film is something that, um, uh, particularly a documentary where you don't know how it's going to unfold, um, and you don't know who you're going to meet and, and what the actual story is when you start, um, it takes um, it, it takes something that I had never imagined. But I think that. Um, that's what every business takes in a way. It, it, you know, you, you, you kind of have this idea of where you're going, but I think, uh, you know, as a business in general, they, they sort of take on their own shape and their own form and, and things begin to move in directions that you uh, would not have anticipated. And so um, I saw that happening with this film and had to uh, many times sort of recenter myself and, uh, and decide that, you know, that I'm not going to, to follow the, uh, the highs and lows as closely um, with uh, at least allow my myself to ride those waves in a way that would be unhealthy for me in order yes. to actually get to the point where I finished. Right. So I think you had to not be impacted by those things that came up along the way. I would love to step back in the conversation that you talked about and think a little bit about Aloe Black and how you guys met and how that business relationship um, has evolved over the course of uh, what is it? Two years or so since he's been an executive producer on Ferguson rises. I think maybe 
maybe three or four. I'm losing track. It's been a while since since that initial um, that first interaction. I mean, you know, when your film takes seven years, sometimes you lose track of when things actually happened in that uh, in that trajectory. But do you remember at all, Allo? Any any aspect of that, or what are your just a you know early conversation, just having around the black experience, the black diaspora, African diaspora, and what your film was about and how it was positioned in terms of storytelling and me just understanding that I have a Rolodex and connections that I don't have much use for in the film world. I do music. Um, Sometimes I flirt with the film world or I do a song in a film or they license my songs. But um, I'd been meeting a lot of folks and I knew right away at the very least I should be able to connect Mobilaji, who's looking for the funding, right, with uh, with folks who can either offer, put him in the right direction, or put some money on the table. Why were you interested in the film? What what about the film interested you? I've never really asked this question, so now I'm curious. <laughs> you know, the un- it's it's about telling the story of the underdog, and we don't really ever get to hear the the story, the narrative from the victim's perspective. And certainly because in many of the cases uh, where we're talking about police brutality, the victim is unable to speak for themselves. They have, they have passed, they've been murdered. Um, And in this case, the closest that we could get is, uh, you know, the family members and in particular, the father of the, of the victim, uh, Mr. Michael Brown Sr. So interviewing the father offers a whole lot of insight into the relationships that we don't get to see in popular media uh, around black families. In popular media, the black family is broken and the father is nowhere to be seen because he's either in jail or dead uh, or uh, deadbeat dad and isn't willing to engage. And that's not the case here. And so it's important. I, I saw it as, you know, hugely important to have this perspective, especially in this uh, highly volatile case. I find it supremely important to humanize black men in, in our media and, um, you know, the demonification of the, the black victims who are murdered by police is a, a trope that is age old and timeless here in the U.S., and it needs to be flipped. And in order to flip that, we have to begin telling the stories in the way that Mobilaji is presenting the story so that we can see the human in the victim, the human in the survivors, uh, the human in the neighborhoods that are being uh, over-policed and brutalized. We have to, we have to be able to tell these stories and it's not going to come from folks who can't see past their own biases it has to it has to come from within our culture um and you know what i'm hoping that that is going to be possible with more people seeing this film is that they recognize their obligation and the opportunity uh to to promote um a richer view of 
the impacted person's story and not just the the uh the record by the by the um what is recorded by the police or what is recorded by the news media because they tell stories the way they have traditionally told stories which is very dismissive of the truth about black humanity yes so i mean i think you're talking about an age-old uh custom and tradition going back centuries if not millennium to Mansa and what you're talking about is building our own indigenous systems i mean you're talking about entrepreneurship but in the context of, of where we live in the united states now you're talking about uh, a consciousness you're talking about activism um, but at the end of the day you're talking about changing systems, changing power structures that are around us by simply telling the truth and then adding a business model behind it, which is where we are today, is where we have the privilege of being because of uh, where previous generations have fought for our, our civil rights. Uh, we're in the process of creating our entrepreneurial rights. Um, and from what I see, whether it's my friends in finance um, and filmmaking, or I think that there's armies of us doing what needs to be done in the current here and now. I think that this conversation, even though it's a one-off conversation about Ferguson Rises, um, is really a conversation, a much larger conversation about what's currently being done, um, whether it's in the wake of George Floyd or whether it's in the wake of Trayvon Martin or whether it's in the wake of um, Ferguson Rises. I think that we're talking about a much larger conversation where there's a new generation with a new consciousness understanding that what we give ourselves um, is what we're going to get. Um, to Mobilaji's point earlier, if you didn't build it, if you didn't sit there and create it, it's not happening. There's no cavalry coming in. We're the ones that we must rely upon in order to create new systems, um, new structures. Indeed. I mean, I think also we have to look at what stories are we telling our children, right? Yes. Are we telling them stories of resilience? Are we telling them stories of purpose? Are we telling them stories or are we telling them stories solely of, of, of trauma? Right, that, that reinforce this sort of trauma-informed reality that has us in response mode only and not in, in, in creation mode, right? And so ultimately, I feel like for me, it was about telling a story that did not ignore the trauma because it is important to look at that and to recognize it and to acknowledge um, the pain that people are going through and have been through. But at the same time, out of that trauma came such an awareness, came the Black Lives Matter movement came on an individual level, sort of a spiritual and political awakening for many members of the community. And so, so there, was a, there was a death. There was someone who was, who was killed, but there was also, in a sense, a resurrection, right? There was also um, an, an opportunity for the community that, that death um, had meaning in a way that, you know, I can't say that all the deaths of all Black people have had meaning historically, but, but this particular hmm. um, death had meaning. And I wanted my son and others to be left with the idea that you can find um, purpose in your pain. That you know it may not be national or international in magnitude, but you can at least you can look for the helpers, as uh, Mister Rogers would say. You can look for the helpers, find the helpers, join the helpers, become a helper in a way that transforms your your community. You don't have to dwell solely in the crucifixion. Right? You can actually move towards a point of resurrection of your own volition. Right. And that, and so what you see in Ferguson is you see some laws have changed. Not everything has changed. Nothing is really perfect. But where the transition has happened for the community and for many people is sort of on the spiritual level, 
on this internal awareness level, uh, a switch has been, you know, has been turned on, right? And, and it can't be turned off. And I think there's power in that, right? And, and so I think quite often based on the news or everything else, we're given the impression that, that, that we, that the, that if we don't see the result of, we don't see the laws, we don't see things, you know, sort of codified that there's nothing that actually transpired. That's far from the truth, particularly in our community. I think we, we operate as, as spiritual people because we have to within this environment, within an environment that is oppressive, you have to operate on many levels. You're not allowed to operate just solely on the surface level. So you have to see the unseen. And, and I think part of that unseen is what has moved the people in Ferguson to, to action, right? What, and what kept them going for, for over a year in terms of protests um, against the various murders that took place, but starting with Michael Brown. And that's what also moved many people across the world to action. And that's why at the end of the film, I felt it was imperative to include some of those places around the world where we got to see that we're not alone. Yes. You know, that, that the, the conscious of the world, the consciousness of the world has been shifted by this movement in a way that we don't want people to forget. And so it was important to sort of codify and, and, and capture this moment on film so that when the streets clear, when the protests are over, that the the movement still can continue, you know, on celluloid. It used to be celluloid, but on, on video, I guess now. But the movement can still continue, and I think that's the part that um, that I wanted to have there for my son, for other people's children, and for just all of us in general. It was like, you know, yes, this was a moment in history, but it doesn't have to stay there. It can continue forward because we're witnessing it, we're we're capturing it, and we're telling the story. Yes. And hopefully the story will continue to be told. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Getting Deals Done. Each show is engineered as meditation on success by the same team that has brought you success meditations on the art of life, as well as being your very best self with our flagship program, Here's to Life with Tori Reed. The Hilton Sacramento Arden West in Sacramento, California, is committed to creating a safe and relaxing experience, including delivery of a clean stay from check-in to check-out. Located a couple of exits from downtown Sacramento and California's capital, our hotel provides a world-class stay, amenities, and rooms at the center of the California experience. California is a world-class economy with visionaries, doers, and dream catchers at its heart. Our mission, as with Here's to Life and Getting Deals Done, is the highest possible expression of excellence, business moxie, humanity, and client care. As the world moves at a fast and sometimes hectic pace, we will provide you with a peace of mind. The Hilton Sacramento Art and West is here to make your experience a better one. We look forward to receiving you. I am Ginger Levert, Director of Sales and Marketing at the Hilton Sacramento Art and West. Our focus is on the customer experience and a pristine excellence. When you travel to Sacramento, stay with us and I guarantee your peace of mind. We look forward to bringing you another dynamic offering globally every two weeks. Be sure to join us for our virtual mastermind forum. And remember, prosperity is a state of being, not a ledger line on your bank account.